And the, the real problem today is, you're going to get me going here now. Because let's go, let's do it. But the real problem here is, we have been indoctrinated into a healthcare system. It's all about the money. Welcome back to another episode, everyone. My name is Mike Perrine. This is the Everyday Detox Podcast. And on this episode, we're going back to the last week of 2019, possibly the first week of 2020, when I had extended a family visit for the holidays into a work intensive. And I was at the studio in New York and I was stacking up clients and I was doing live events and podcasts and all the things that I would do on these work intensives. Um, And then when I got home from that trip shortly after the world changed, and everyone was sheltering in place, and we went into that whole blurry two-year period that we all know so well. Um, And I had every intention of editing these episodes and getting them up within a month or two, like I normally would. However, with the world changing the way it did, I found myself in negotiations with landlords and restructuring insurance policies and laying off staff and applying for SBA disaster relief loans and uh, trying to figure out with the team if we should stay open for certain services, what was a necessary service. Uh, We launched um, some online coaching. The Vitality Mentorship Community and the Vitality Mentorship Group came out of that. Thank you, Ella, who was the... uh, the person responsible for making that happen. And a lot was happening. So I lost all of the time that I would normally have to put into the podcast and and things like that. And then my son was born several months later in May, and that really changed everything as well. So um, finally, now, where are we? We're at the end of 2023. I'm getting this episode up and I'm so happy that I am. A, I feel very accomplished getting it done finally. Uh, But also, you know, watching that episode back as I was editing it, I had a lot of mixed feelings. So I'm watching this episode and uh, first of all, extremely inspired. Um, This was a live Q&A with Dr. Fred Bishy and the live audience. We had, uh, I think I cut it off at 16 people because I wanted it to be intimate. We probably could have had 75, 100 people at this event if I would have just opened it all up, you know. Um, But uh, I took the first 16 people that came and uh, they asked questions. The audience asked questions of Dr. Bishy and uh, that was what the episode was supposed to be. And it was the first live audience podcast that I have ever done. Now, I know I've released episodes where uh, it's been a live event, but that was more someone else's event and me setting up cameras and going, oh, if, this, if there's anything valuable here, I'll release it as a podcast, like things I've done at a Bonbury and places like that. But this was the first one that I set up that was specifically designed to be an audience participation podcast. And, you know, watching it, first of all, extremely expi- inspired because uh, just the, the content, I think you guys are going to love this one. The questions, the content, the things we cover are so important still to this day. And a lot of the focus was on fasting. So I got inspired. I did a juice fast last week just because I was in the middle of editing this one. And um, yeah, I just made a priority and just did it. Just a short, quick one. Didn't tell my wife I was fasting just to see. Just wanted to see if she would, how tuned in she was to what I was doing. 
And uh, she, she was like, I noticed you were making more juice, but that was about it. Now we have two small children uh, and, you know, she has her business and everything. So she was very focused on those things, of course. But um, I just thought that was funny because she didn't see me put a bite of food in my mouth for over a week. And I was making like three times as much juice and I lost a bit of weight. And finally, towards the end, she was like, I noticed how skinny you were one morning. And I, you know, she's like, I kind of started thinking about that. But um, so... Another feeling I had was I was a little bit nostalgic. You know, that that podcast was filmed. That event was held at the peak of everything. You know, the studio was always a hard time for me, to be honest. It was very stressful. And I'll let you in on a little secret. The moment the pandemic happened, I felt the greatest sense of relief. <laughs> I mean, the business, I mean, the business was destroyed, you know, I, but... Uh, you know, I had taken on so much responsibility because there was a lot of investment money. I had put years of work into that. Staff always needed something, and you know, everybody's livelihood depended on that place. And I was at the I was at the head of the ship. I was the leader. So, you know, when things would go wrong, or we needed to figure out which direction, it was always very stressful to me. And for the first time, when this happened, it was the first time I could relax and stop thinking for a moment because all the problems we were having were out of my control. And I can just sort of, even though we did try to, we, we, and we did successfully navigate those waters, although there were many, it was turbulent waters, but we did successfully navigate it and I did have to put in energy and effort. There was so much less stress because it wasn't just the matter of bad decisions. Oh, did we spend too much on marketing here? Or should we have done this? Or maybe we didn't do that. Or like, you know, like trying to like navigate the normal, uh, um, you know, ocean of business instead this was a storm that like, it just, we were just doing our best and it was so much easier than the normal circumstances we were operating under. Um, but, you know, looking at that, we were at the peak. That was, that was before everything changed and things were really just building so beautifully. And we had this audience of people and I'm looking at that studio that in many ways I built with my own hands, even though we had a crew. I was in there every day just building units and doing things and painting and working with my friend James Rizzi, who was an artist who did work on the walls for us. And um, yeah, and I built that whole place. Uh, I took the measurements and I built it in Adobe Illustrator. I did, I did all of the, uh, the whole floor layout and what we were going to build. And then we built it. So, um, so to look at it all come together, the whole place cleaned up, had been in business for a couple of years already. Now I'm sitting there with one of my greatest friends and mentors, Dr. Fred Bishy, in front of an audience of people doing a live podcast. And the entire staff stayed uh, that night and were present as well. And uh, it was just a beautiful moment. So I, you know, I had some feelings looking at that and going, I remember what was. I remember what was. But things change and they move on. And here I am. If you're watching this on YouTube, I'm at my amazingly cute and adorable and cozy little studio in Ashland, Oregon in a very peaceful place. So um, I definitely won uh, in the long run. So no complaints there. Uh, so I want to give a little context just to some of the things that were said as well. Because, you know, listening back and trying to think from the point of view of somebody listening to this or the audience, I always wanted to clarify a few things. Uh, first of all, in the podcast, uh, it was the first time that Dr. Bishy really ever talked about Velasta Astaxanthin. And I know you've heard me talk about that on this podcast, on social media. You're probably sick of hearing me talk about Velasta Astaxanthin, but it is one of the most potent supplements 
that I've ever come across in, in almost 30 years of doing this work from all the enzymes and green powders and um, you know all the little things that, that have come up over the years, the special water machines, all that stuff. Most of that stuff is interesting. It can be used in certain circumstances and it just sort of falls away. This is something that's been really present with me as something of value ever since that podcast. I, he had talked to me about it a little bit before that, and I kind of knew a little bit. I hadn't taken it yet, really. Um, but, you know, I'd researched that I'd looked into it. I'd watched some videos at that point at the end of 2019. Uh, and this is where he first really talked about it and specifically talked about how he was turned on to it because uh, of different clients of his that were not really doing the diet very well, like they were doing a poor job at taking care of themselves and they had advanced diseases. Um, they had the C word, many of them. And then they would go into remission and like multiple clients it was happening to. And he kept saying, he goes, I ignored it the first few times because I thought, ah, okay, it's some algae thing. You know, like we've seen tons of these things. You know, they, you read the website, it makes great promises and you go, I don't know if this stuff works. But then he was seeing results in his practice and client after client was going into remission, they weren't even working the diet so good. And usually he works with nutritional detox and, and manipulates somebody's body chemistry with nutrition to get a reversal of uh, a condition like that. And they weren't even, they were, they were kind of half-assing it. And they were just taking this supplement and getting phenomenal results. And then he called Sam and him and Sam became buddies. And that's how I got turned on to all this and had Sam on my podcast. So if you would like to support this podcast, you can drop down to the show notes of the description, click the link, use the code all caps pure and you can get some Velasta astaxanthin and this was the first time he's ever talked about it so you'll get to hear that in this podcast. Another thing that Dr. Bishy uh, was talking about that I thought was a little confusing but I understood. Sometimes I've noticed when we do podcasts or, or have conversations he'll, he'll talk about things already knowing that I know where he's going with it or what he's talking about and to someone just listening in, they may not understand. So he was talking in this podcast about when someone's on a very clean diet or a raw food diet, if they're cold or if they don't have enough energy for athletics, it means they need to eat enough. And he was talking about how important it is to eat enough, eat enough calories. You know, sometimes that means eating more fruits or sometimes that means eating more fats, especially if someone is cold, because uh, sometimes people try to live on these low calorie light uh, tropical diets and they're living in Canada and they're like freezing all the time. And it's like, that doesn't work. Work. You need to increase your caloric intake of clean food, but you can't just live on light sometimes like that. And that's what he was talking about. But then he goes on to talk about how you don't need to eat a lot doing this lifestyle. You shouldn't be over consuming calories, right? So it's like, well, which one is it? And if you listen, you'll see that what he's talking about is when he's when he's eating next to nothing, when Dr. Bishy is doing a lot of fasting or having like a juice and a, a fruit meal for a day or a fruit meal and a small salad for a day and things that would leave the average person hungry. He's talking about when he's in a state of non-activity, right, right then uh, at that during that episode, he was actually healing an injury, uh, a muscle injury, and he wasn't training really well. It uh, wasn't um, training often. So you know, his caloric intake was much lower. It was just much cleaner. He wasn't putting a lot of uh, digestive burden on his body. But then he goes on to say, when I start training again, because at the time he was preparing, I think he said he was going to, I don't remember exactly what the athletic pursuit was, but he was taking on a huge athletic pursuit as soon as the injury healed. 
And uh, he said, I'm definitely going to increase my calories. I'm going to eat more fruits. I'm going to eat more food. Um, so what he's talking about is, is that balance of not overburdening a system that's not active with lots of food by overeating, but also when you do increase the need for nutrition and for calories, you have to feed that, especially if you're trying to be an athletic person on clean food, because it's not going to be as calorically dense as eating like bowls of rice and, and you know, cooked food and uh, animal food and like chicken and rice and like, you know, eating that you're really... You're, you're concentrating calories. When you're eating lettuce and avocados and apples, like, you know, you, you're going to need to eat more if, you, if you're going to put in more output. So uh, I just wanted to clarify that for everyone. Hopefully we will be getting Dr. Bishy um, later this year into 2024. Later in 2024, I am really hopeful. I think we're going to be able to do it to record some master classes with him for Everyday Detox Academy. And if you want to check out the master classes we have now um, with... Gil Jacobs and myself, you can go to everydaydetoxacademy.com. And by the way, guys, remember on the last episode when I said, uh, hey, I'm going to put in a special code and do all that and extend the Black Friday, Cyber Monday sales. I didn't do that. Now, what I did do is I completely didn't do anything. I never actually, to this moment recording this, all the Black Friday, Cyber Monday sale prices are the same. I never changed them. So anybody that's looked at that website and wanted to get better pricing between Black Friday, Cyber Monday and now, which is like getting close to Christmas, um, the prices have remained the same. So you could have got away with just getting it. But this time, I'm going to change the prices back to what they were and... Uh, to, to their normal prices. And I'm going to put the codes. I didn't put the codes last time. So you could have got the deal last time. But if you did look and you went, oh, there's no codes. He didn't put any codes. I'm going to put them in from, they'll be there for a week. Actually, you know what? Let's do it until the, the till New Year's Eve. It's just going to be between now and today's the 18th until New Year's Eve. So I know people don't listen to this the same day it posts all the time. So if you're listening to this episode uh, and you were interested in getting one of our master classes with the once a year Black Friday, Cyber Monday sales, those codes will be in the description or in the, um, the show notes that will bring the prices back down to that for you. All right, guys, I really hope that you enjoy this episode. Let's jump right in. Okay, welcome to the first ever live audience podcast. Thank you all for coming. Basically, what's going to happen in this podcast is I am going to hand it over to you, and I'm going to hand it over to the audience, uh, and we're going to have a live Q&A session. Okay. Uh, but I want to tell you, you know, this podcast started five years ago uh, because of the conversations that I used to have with you. For 25 years now, I've known you, and we've been talking about conversations about life and health and spirituality. And when podcasting first started, I was thinking, I was like, I have the most amazing conversations with my colleagues and my friends. And I thought I should start a podcast. And that, and you were the first guest on my podcast and we told your life story. And it's, uh, it's the most popular one that we've ever done. And I get the most amazing feedback. People absolutely love you. I know you don't read YouTube comments, but how good a story is. oh, it's an amazing story. Your life story is amazing. But we go. So if anybody wants to hear it, it's podcast number one. And we just go deep into the story of how Dr. Bishy became Dr. Bishy well, uh, that he's known know, to be today. How much of that remember, but the lifestyle change is what, what uh, changed my life dramatically from being the type of person I was, you know, being out in the street and all that type of stuff, getting kicked out of all the schools I get kicked out of, getting a lot of trouble. And uh, this type of a lifestyle 
making it, you know, spiritual, emotionally, psychological, and a physical transformation. Mm. It, it was dramatic, you know, it's a dramatic transformation. Not that um, where I am is anything special, but at, at this point in my life, you know, I'm 90 years old now, and um, I have to say, in spite of some unforeseen circumstances, I feel as good as I did when I was half this age. So it definitely, it definitely works when you look at the body for what it is and what it's capable of. And if you give it free reign over your chemistry, and you make the you know make it a spiritual journey besides a physical journey, the impact is dramatic. I look back sometimes, I can't believe you know where I came from. What well, you, it gave you a sense of purpose, did it not? Oh, that definitely. Yeah, it did to me Definitely. too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, it you... changes your life. It changes your whole perspective. It changes the what, the way you look at things. It changes your attitude about people. I didn't like people. I just didn't like people. I like dogs better than I like people. I always had a dog, but uh, it's you know it changes. <clears throat> Not only I you know I experienced a change in my own attitude, but over the years, you know, it's probably more than probably close to fifty-five years. And with the help of uh, Rory, I've probably seen, uh, I don't know, 25, 30,000 people. So it was kind of like a double-blind study for me. I saw what worked and what didn't work. I had a lot of people come to me that uh, they would only make a certain amount of change. I saw what was effective. I had people come to me with all chronic disease. And I never seen one person that committed themselves to this type of a lifestyle completely that didn't overcome chronic disease. Acute disease? That's a different story, you know. It's, uh, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot to that. But there's no two ways that if you're about it, that if you give your body a half a chance, and you're able to do it, commit yourself spiritually, emotionally, psychologically, and be able to, you know, break free from the psychological component of hunger to food, which is the main process that to which the addiction works through the five senses the psychological component of hunger, taste, smell, sight, all those things visually, that's how the addictive process works through the, basically through the hypothalamus gland, the floor of your brain, and that's how we become addicted. The, the most powerful addiction right now on this planet is food, basically processed food. That's the game changer. People cannot break away from that. They can break away from heroin, they can break away, you know, if they try. There's all kinds of things you could do. But the big thing is a lot of people cannot, they have, they, their big struggle over the years is to, to be able to overcome the effect that food has on their hunger drive and how, what it's really doing. And that's where fasting is, water fasting is a game changer. To do. That's, what, that's what was the game changer for me when I just started to do extensive five-year study about fasting and uh, it's, did a lot of self-experimenting, did a lot of long-term fasts where people thought I was going to probably was going to die, and they were the best experience I ever had in my life. Well, let's uh, let's start with this uh, because I wanted to, this to be a Q and A session, but right. in in light of something that's happened recently on social media, do you know who uh, Dr. Robert Lockhart, Kyle, is that who it is? Do you know who he is? 
Yeah, he yet he's the guy that died. It was a raw food. Yeah, he was seventy five years old. He right. was a he was a raw vegan fruitarian, and he really, really pursued health like to the to the ultimate limit. And he was really into fasting and water fasting and right. dry fasting. So I thought. Uh, you know, I would like to ask you because there's a lot of people doing very radical things these days. Everybody's really like adventurous these days. The most popular one is like ice baths and jumping into the, you know, Wim Hof's got everybody jumping into ice baths and cold immersion, which is probably good for most people. So, you know, in light of him uh, dying, he died of kidney failure uh -huh. and his family, you know, was very transparent about what's gone on with him. And I don't know all the details. I'm reading about this on the internet. So I don't, I don't we don't have to discuss him specifically, uh, but he's someone that really lived the life uh, all the way to the limit, to the best of his ability, to what he thought was the way to, to live a healthy life. And he died of kidney failure. So Well, dry fasting is very hard on your kidneys. I, I, I know a couple of people got themselves in real trouble with dry fasting. Of course, dry fasting, um, you know, it all depends upon the person. You don't know. There's, there's millions of variables in each person individually in their chemistry. So I, people have, you know, questioned me about this gentleman. And I certainly wouldn't use that, what happened to him in a fortunate experience where he died from kidney failure because dry fasting is, you know, it does put a burden on your kidneys and you can get yourself into a lot of trouble with dry fasting. I know, new, I know quite a few people that did some dry fasting, very successful, it was very, very dynamic. But it's also, there are individuals that do a dry fast and get themselves into a lot of trouble. And if he fast, dry fasted uh, four days, and uh, he was a very clean person. See, with dry fasting, the, unfortunately, the opposite is really true. When a person is really clean and uh, they're not getting enough calories, they get into a dry fast, they can get themselves into trouble. And, you know, your kidneys don't work well without water as a solvent and a transport medium. You need water. You know what I mean? I have the experience with dry fasting. I have experienced all kinds of fasting. I actually did an eight-day dry fast. People are aware of it, but I did it. We discussed that on the last right. podcast. So yeah. I did that. That wasn't voluntary. There was a reason for that. So uh, I, I, you see, that's what happens today. There's so much information in social media, and a lot of people are striving. I don't know if they really know what they're looking for. So when you do, why do a dry fast when you can do a water fast? What's wrong with doing a water fast? There's no risk. Well, or, one of the issues, too, is that because of the way social media influences people, they don't have any training wheels on, and immediately they're doing dry fasting and water yeah, fasting. Yeah, I know. That's a disaster. So, I can only imagine the people they hurt with all that. So my question to you, because there seems to be people getting into very extreme diets, fantasy diets, dry fasting, right. doing extreme things with their bodies. When what? When does it go wrong for somebody? Like, But let's, let's take Dr. Lockhart, for example, who I from what I understand, was one of the most beautiful souls in the yeah, world. Yeah, I don't the most know, amazing I know, people. know the man, but I heard such wonderful things about him. But So when does it go wrong? When does it become too far? Like, how, how clean can you get? How much of this lifestyle can you live to where you push your body to a place? What should people watch out for? It, it, you reach a point when you're getting at the t kind of getting to, at the, to the top of the mountain where you can get very, very dangerous. You can go too far. I mean, I've... I've had people tell me they aspire to be fruit, um, you know, breatharians and things like that. Or, you know, I've seen over in my uh, 55 years of experience, there's a, I've seen, I mean, I eat a lot of fruit. I like fruit myself based on how much gasoline I need in the tank. If I'm, like, I'm training to do a, an endurance event, I'm going to be drinking a lot of juice, eating a lot of fruit. 
to do it, to, to be able to go that distance that far every single day. So, but the thing is, and also based on, you know, the condition of your body. We have to remember that with the human body, everything is chemical and everything is action and reaction. You can't go on an all-raw diet and stay on an all-raw diet for five years and think that you're going to have a change of heart and go back to eating meat. It's not going to work. There's a good chance you're going to have an emergency room or there's a good chance you'll have cancer in a couple of years. So it all has to do with the intercellular pressure. Yeah, yeah. can you explain that a little bit for people to understand like how well, somebody you, could... Once you... Once you uh, Go into the, some of these extreme diets, you know, and I consider a raw food diet an extreme diet. I never intended to stay on an all-raw diet myself. I never intended to do it. I just want, I got to the point where the information that was available, you know, 60 years ago, a lot of, there was a lot of contradiction like there is now, a lot of contradiction. And there was people saying things that were directly contradictory just like there are now, people recommending ketogenic, a high-protein diet, a macrobiotic diet, you name it, all different types of diets. They all have documentation, scientific documentation, to show why they work. It's true, they do have documentation. And in a little bit, I'll explain to why. Same thing years ago, there was so much contradiction about, you know, what was better to eat a starch-based vegan diet or to eat, uh, uh, eat fruit instead of starches, which was... Fruit sugar's a problem, just like regular sugar. Or starches, if you ate too many starches, which could, it would eventually develop into upper respiratory problems. Uh, there were people saying that, now like today, there's, people, there's two opposite sides of the spectrum. There's people now, because of the, uh, the documentary, The Game Changers, which have changed a lot of people. And there's people are saying that you can't eat any animal protein and live a long, healthy life. That's not true. Now... I wouldn't. I would never eat animal protein, but for moral reasons, I have, you know. To me, I don't feel that an animal has to give up his life so I could exist. I know you can thrive on a uh, on a plant-based diet. I, you know, I, I'm doing. You know. And let's and let's just say you're 90 years old. Can we just like depart real quick and talk about the endurance uh, event that you just mentioned? What you're going to be doing? Yeah. Well, I I'm I'm, I'm dealing with an injury here, but I think that's gone. Something's got away. We're going to be running, doing a marathon, 26 miles every day for 20 days. What? <laughs> so, but the thing is, the key is, the problem is, and of course you can't deny the fact that, I mean, there's a lot of young guys out there that have awesome physiques. They're working out with the weights. They're eating a lot of animal protein. They got all this muscle on them. You can't deny certain aspects of animal protein uh, that, you know, if you're a bodybuilder, you want to have 20-inch arms and bench press of five, 600 pounds or something like that. Um, you know, animal protein might enable you to, to do that, but you don't have to do it. Plant protein is actually more efficient than animal protein. There's the, the endogenous byproducts that are in animal protein, they're very stimulating. So when you take that stimulation, you eat that animal protein, and what happens, it enables you... When that's combined with the animal protein, it enables you to handle tremendous weights. Whenever you handle those tremendous weights, you're going to be, develop uh, huge muscle mass. But in the long run, it don't last. We were just discussing that in the car. I remember years ago, just to get off, and I don't want to go off into a subject, but we were talking about... Let's go. Oh, okay, Arthur Saxon, 
many, many years ago when I was a big guy, weighed over 200 pounds, working out with the weights, but I never did any of the stuff that people were doing. I ate a simple peasant-type, Mediterranean-type diet. So what happens, there were people like Arthur Saxon, who was the strongest man in the world at that time, could do a one-arm bent press. It's like a corkscrew press. You screw away from it and you go down with 360 pounds. The guy had an awesome physique. He was awesome to look at him. And um, he used to eat 20 eggs in the morning for breakfast and four pounds of bacon. Then he'd have a, he had a weight. He'd have a meal in, in the evening. His brother, he was a member of the Saxon Trio. His brother would cook him between eight and 10, 10 pounds of beef, meat, and he would eat it. Now, that guy was so stimulated, I can only imagine well, how that guy really felt. He was so stimulated from the nitrogenous byproducts, the waste products that are in the flesh of the animal, that the animal was trying to get rid of. When you eat the protein, you're also, you got to get rid of not only your ni own nitrogenous byproducts, you got to get rid of the nitrogenous byproducts from the animal. It's like a package, everything that comes with it. Right. You know, Paul Anson used to eat Knox Jelly. He was another guy into the protein. Strongest guy in the world, he died young. So with Arthur Saxon, he died at 43 years old from kidney failure. Of course. How can you talk about kidney? You talk about your kidneys. He should have been drinking 20 gallons of water a day. What he was doing to his kidneys was probably unbelievable. But they didn't know in those days. Louis Saint Cyr, he was uh, he was a butcher. He weighed uh, he was a Canadian guy. He weighed about 350 pounds. He could if you put everybody in this room on a trestle, he could underneath the trestle. He'd pick up the whole trestle. He died in his 50s. Carl Schwoda. Another monstrous guy, huge, 300 and something, 333 pounds, if I remember correctly, could pick up anything. He used to get on, they used to put an old car, Model T Ford on the ramp, he'd get up there, he picked it up, he died young. All those, a lot, everybody that I was exposed to in those days that ate humongous amounts of animal protein, no two ways about it, they were super strong. So they stimulated their muscle growth to the point of the max at the expense of their organs, which failed right. early. Yeah. Right. Or, and they've all, they, they were prone to infectious diseases like tuberculosis. You know, the condition of the microbiome is our immune system is based on the condition of the microbiome. In order to contagion, it's only half true. You are not vulnerable, you know, to pick up a microbe flying around the room, you know, if, if your body, if you eat a small amount, if you ate a small amount of food, you didn't eat the greatest diet in the world, just a small amount, you're very rarely going to get sick. If you eat a diet that's clean, you don't overeat, the, the bacteria, the condition of the microbiome, the intestinal tract, you don't have the fertile environment for the bacteria to proliferate. We got bacteria all over us right now. Everybody in this room is, we got microbes all over us. New York We're City all subway. breathing in this room. We're breathing in infectious germs. It's all based on your immune system. Your immune system is based on how you treat your, the, the human body. And the, the real problem today is, you're going to get me going here now. because Let's go. Let's do it. But the real problem here is, we have been indoctrinated into a healthcare system. To me, it's, it's a sham. It's only, it's not even half true. It's all about the money. It's all about, you know, um, create, you know, educating people to the point where in an abstract science, you know, going to school, I got thrown out of, the, I, I got thrown out of a, a class with a college professor because she said you couldn't, 
You couldn't go without food for more than 10 days. I'd already done over 30-day water fast. I, I tried it, you know. You know, that was ridiculous. So what happens is that if you eat clean, that's why people come here and get colonics. That's the reason. You come here, you know, and of course, I'm a great fan of colonics. But the only thing is, I've seen people that they use colonics like a bulimic does something from the other end. They they use colonics to carry on their indiscretion by eating the wrong types of food and it's part of their food addiction. Colonics is a fabulous thing because it changes the environment in the microbiome. It changes. You give, you, what you do is you're giving the bacteria, the, the, the positive bacteria, the warriors, uh, um, an upper hand to keep you healthy. But when you do these things, when you do fasting, you go for colonics, you do, or you change your diet, it's got to be your lifestyle. You've got to stay there. You can't go in and out. You can't dance in and out. We call that disaster management in is that the industry. What it is? Yes. Management. We do a lot of those treatments actually. But yeah, that's one of the main colonic myths. People think it's gonna wash out all the good bacteria. Yeah, I know. And I explained to people that it's not uh, it's not like washing off a car. Like you yeah. know, it's just like drinking a glass of water. You're not gonna eliminate all the bacteria in your mouth. But that's illogical logic. Yeah. That's what that is. And what they don't understand is with a polluted intestine, all those expensive probiotics have nowhere to live anyway because it's just going to go into an environment that it can't live in, and uh, you're going to have the wrong type of bacteria to begin we, with. We, if we educate ourselves a little bit, if the average person educates themselves a little bit, we should be taking uh, control of our own lifestyle. We shouldn't be chasing everybody that comes up in social media, that comes up and sounds like an intellect, or they're an MD or something, or to come up with some new magical formula. The biological design in the human body has not changed since the beginning of the time. We are exactly the same as we were in the beginning of time. The, the exact same thing. And if you look at every species of animal on Earth, it should, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to realize we shouldn't be eating like a crocodile or a lion or a tiger we, or a giraffe. You know, giraffe eats leaves off of trees. He's got square teeth. Lions, they're carnivores. You know, there's certain animals. We are designed to eat a plant-based diet. Beyond the shadow of a doubt, if you look at the biological design of the human body, there's no two ways about it. And if a person wants to, in my estimation anyway, from what I've seen, if you want to live a, a long life, you have to eat in accordance with your biological design. Now, the human body being such a heroic biological organism, can you, can you get away with things? Oh, absolutely. Your body will adapt to anything. You can eat anything. I almost feel like it's it's part of a spiritual plan because human beings could do the most absurd things to their bodies. Like uh, in the ER, my wife works in the ER. Um, they uh, like if you look at some of these Facebook pages, they they refer to the cockroach people, the people that they just never die, but they try to kill themselves every week with usually with drugs and drinking and things, and you know they do all these absurd and they just never die. But global warming happens, the the degree changes one temp, and we got species being knocked out. Everything's so sensitive, but the human body seems to be able to just go well. For Stretch. You know, we're, we're, we're special. Don't forget, all animals, they're cerebral. Animals have a tremendous advantage over us in some respect. In some respects, they're far superior to we are. Their sense of smell. We should have a sense of smell like that. If you did, uh, anybody does repeated long fast, you develop a sense of smell that's awesome. People just don't realize that. And you lose that when you eat the wrong food. You can't, you know, you can't smell something in front of you. But animals instinctual. And they gravitate their natural dietary adaption by instinct. We are cerebral. We are so smart, we're able to rationalize anything. And we're able to, because of the hunger drive, 
we're able to, based on our instincts and to a degree our intellect, we're able to make choices that are wrong for us and, what, and where the basic addiction in life is feeling good. So whatever makes us feel good, that's where people want to go. In spite of the fact, a lot of people today, they know what they're eating, it's not good for their diabetes, their cancer, whatever they got, yet they justify it. They keep doing it and they say, well, the doctor's going to help me. And there's some fabulous doctors out there. A lot of people now are living longer because of medical heroics, but I don't agree with a lot of the, the way the... Uh, with all due respect, I don't agree with a lot of the way they treat people because I'm pretty well versed in, you know, the medical procedure and how drugs work and everything like that. So I, I, my hope and my prayer is that people open their eyes and realize that, you know, whatever their problems are, whatever their addiction is, whether it's food, no matter what it is, it's not that complicated to break that addiction. It's, in fact, it's pretty easy if you know how to, to do it. You can break, you can break in just about any addiction with a four or five day water fast with complete rest and things like that. I just recently had a guy that um, had appendicitis, you know, and he was scheduled for surgery. Got rid of that like, like coughing. He just, <coughs> and it was gone. With a water fast? Oh no, he didn't even have to do a water fast. I knew it because they said he, he was scheduled for surgery 10 days, what was it, 10 days away? 10 days away. I, that wasn't, that wasn't an emergency. I said, stop eating certain foods. Just stick to a plant-based diet. Eat as much raw as you can. Don't eat late at night. Don't eat in between meals. Drink a lot of water. And it went away. So it probably swept the tissue. It dropped the inflammation. Yeah. And his body healed it up. Right. But on the water, I've had plenty of other people had appendicitis to gallbladder. I put them on a fast. It goes away. Had a guy call me from the hospital. Oh, Freddie, you're taking out my gallbladder. Oh, okay, good luck. But do I have to do this? No, really. I said, hey, you're in agony? Yeah. So I told him to go home, drink a glass of apple juice, put a glass of uh, apple cider in it. His pain went away. And then he went on a fast and went away. He still so, got his cold, but he's still abusing himself, though. So the apple juice or the apple cider vinegar to help break up the, uh, the cholesterol deposits well, in the yeah, gallbladder? It, re it reduced some of the inflammation. And just one glass, or he did this every no, day? No, one glass. This, uh, to see, to make sure it was the gallbladder, of course, his pain went away in about 15 minutes. Of course, it's going to come back. Right. <clears throat> but then I had him do... Uh, uh, liver gallbladder flush. That guy, I don't know if you remember Andreas Moritz, who died. I think he died from mold poisoning, from what I heard. Yeah, I've never gotten a full story on it. So Andreas Moritz wrote... Uh, the Amazing Liver and Gallbladder Flush. Yeah, he was the guy that, one of the people that popularized uh, gallbladder flushing and liver flushing. Well, he that's what this guy did. He pissed, uh, you know, enough marbles to play uh, play a marble game. On for the next 10 years. Maybe. People used to bring them in to me. Yeah. They used to bring jars. And I'd see the bag come out, the fair, and they'd pull out, and I'd be like, oh, I know it's coming. And they'd show me the stones from their liver flush. But, but uh, see, a lot of doctors tell people, no, that's a hoax. Those yellow things you see, that's congealed olive oil. Now, you take one of those things, those yellow things, you drop it on the floor, it sounds like you dropped a piece of marble. You know, so that's not... Yeah. Some, of it, some of it is congealed. You know, it's, that's, that's bile and congealed olive oil. Well, but, but it does, you know, I, I realized this too, because people were bringing in so many stones from liver flushes that, by the way, this is going to be a Q&A at some point, but we're catching up right now. Oh, yeah. Well, talking uh, too much? No, no. Um, but lean back here. Yeah, you're good. You're great. Yeah. Uh -huh. um, oh, so, uh, you know, I, I was making soap because, you know, I'm a vegan hippie. So uh, I was making soap and I made my own soap. And I, and I realized that when you 
mix olive oil with something highly alkaline and with soap you use lye to do it right and you could use a blend of coconut palm or olive oil it'll basically make you know little it'll congeal it to soap stones mm -hmm. and you know bile is highly alkaline so when you drink the olive oil some of it's going to ball up and come out yeah. as a saponified olive oil you know. so, but it's an amazing purge because I've had it where no stones have come out and you just kind of see like the olive oil coming through. And I've lost my allergies to cats in a weekend. Had allergies on Friday. I had no allergies on Sunday just based on the condition of my liver from doing the flush. Well, yeah. your liver, listen, the key is what I always try to make people aware is that uh, your liver, in order to det detoxify the human body, if you just go to a clean diet, a, a vegan diet, and that's like 70-80% raw, and you stay there consistently, drink enough water, get enough rest, your body goes into this remedial detox on its own. You might not have to even do anything to detoxify your liver and all these other things. Your liver is extreme. The key is your liver, which performs over 500 different functions. Your, um, your lymphatic system, which is like the garbage disposal system in your house. You don't take out the garbage, your lymphatic system. That's why a lot of people have different types of cancer, and you know a lot of it, they have to remove lymph nodes. The body was overwhelmed. The body wasn't processing the garbage out of the house. That's, that's a big part of the problem. And then your bowels, you know, people, there's people walking around that have, might have four or five pounds of fecal material in them. And I've seen that. I've actually seen that. I actually, one time, I was, uh, there was a period when uh, I, I was, there were people that were schizophrenics, and I found that you could really help them with long water fast. I did it a couple of times. I had to stop, though, because some doctor said he was going to have me thrown in the hooskow. But it, it was working. I had a girl come out of South Beach Psychiatric Center, and she was a sick girl. And she was out about three or four months, and a friend of mine asked me to help her. So I put her on a couple of short fasts. And I got her to change her diet, but she was having trouble changing her diet, you know, because of the psychological component of hunger. And then I said to her, would you like to try a water fast? She said, well, it helped me, a longer water fast. She said, would it help me with what's going on with my, my psychology? I said, a very good chance it will help you. So I put her on a long water fast. I had to go to a house every day and monitor her vital signs and everything. And then it was on the 18th day of the fast, she called me up. And she said, Freddie, I'm in a tremendous amount of pain. I think I'm having a baby. I said, what? Are you pregnant? She says, I don't know. I said, oh, my God. So I said to myself, maybe she got pregnant in, in a hospital, a psychiatric ward. So I ran over to the house, and I mean, it, I couldn't, it went, you know, once I saw what was going on inside the house, I realized why this poor girl was sick. I went upstairs, and she was standing over the, uh, the bedroom looking in the toilet bowl, and I first looked in there, I thought she did probably have a bit, did have a something, because it, it was was full. There was a lot of blood in there, and I looked in there. There was a mass in there that was about this big. I don't know how it ever possibly could have came out of her. So in order to break it up, I had to, she had a plunger there. I took the pulled the plunger out of the plunger, and I had to break this thing up. I can't to this day figure out how that came out of her. It did come out of her, and. Um, what that day, the transformation from that day to the next day was immense. Because within, she went 21 days, she was more normal than I was after that. She was a normal person. 
and she was normal for years. And not only that, I told her, if you stay to this type of a lifestyle, that I said, you're going to be able to, because she liked to ride a bike, you're going to be able to ride a bike. She lost a tremendous amount of weight. You ride a bike, I said, there's a, there's a, you'll be able to walk 15 miles. So we went, we walked 15 miles down the beach. We walked 15 miles. 15! <clears throat> not only, the, the amazing thing is she got better from an incurable mental disease, which designate to be incurable. And a lot of the Russians been doing that. Sergei Falanov. In Russia, they've been fasting schizophrenics for years with great results. Fasting is very, very powerful. In in Europe, in some of the fasting clinics, Otto Buchinger, Ragnarberg, uh, Otto Ar- Otto Warburg, who guy you know who he is, right? Mm-hmm. Who tells us what feeds cancer. He was a he was a, a scientist that knew a lot about fasting. A lot of people in those days didn't really know about fasting. They really, they you know. Well, they, th- there's a lot of science coming out now about fasting, so a lot of people are talking that. about it. It's all over the place, um, and everyone's jumping into it. Do you think there's any prerequisite work people should do before they go onto a water fast? Yeah. Unless they, anybody goes into any kind of a long water fast, anything beyond seven days, they could run into to problems. There's a major mo- emotional psychological component because you could go into a water fast. If you go into a longer water fast, you could have some very frightening symptoms and experience. I mean, this girl thought she was having a baby. So, and uh, you could have other issues. I mean, you could have nausea. You could have all kinds of problems. Violent diarrhea. Well, these things are unusual. Nausea. And with a water fast, a long therapeutic water fast, you have to, a person can't go into it with fear. If you're going into a, fear, a long water fast with fear, you don't belong in there. You're better off to going on ju- drinking juices because there's very, there's, not too, you're basically eating when you're juicing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not too, but, yeah, but you're leaving out all the junk food. You're leaving out candy, cakes, cigars, booze, all that type of stuff. So what you leave out, the, there's a reciprocal amount of remedial capability that you're releasing into the human body based on what you leave out. So when you, what you leave out is actually more important than what you eat in some respects. That's why there's so much confusion about the different diets today. All scientific studies like Dr. Jason Fong has got everybody doing intermediate, you know, intermediate uh, uh, fasting and uh, uh, ketogenic diet, and they're getting fabulous results. But not for the reason that they think at this point. Uh, the Atkins, Atkins got good results in the beginning. They're going to have the same problem with the ketogenic diet they had with the Atkins diet. Mm-hmm. It's going to run into the same problem. Uh, there's all different types of diets out there, and there's all kinds of double-blind studies, all kinds of, they all, everybody's quoting science, you know, but the reason why the science the scientific aspect is working because of what you're leaving out, not because we're eating. So everybody's so, starting out with Twinkies and cupcakes, and bacon is not cleansing them, but it's leaving out all the extra stuff. So well, then when you results. start eating the, when you start eating the fruits and vegetables, you start leaving out all processed food. You could be eating that door. You're still going to have a miraculous turnaround. You could be eating horse manure out of the field. It's got some hay in it. You know, you'll be okay. Okay. <laughs> that's the problem. People just don't realize. So they got all these studies. So people look at the studies. People call me up. What's the? Yeah. Could you explain the ketogenic diet to me scientifically? Why it's so good? What do you tell a person like that? I mean, it's not. It, it's okay, but you won't last on it because you. But if you thought, see, they're telling everybody about ketones. You know, your your brain can utilize ketones in place of sugar. Only on a temporary basis. Otherwise, you take a type 1 diabetic that is not utilizing any sugar, they die. 
they go into diabetic uh, ketoacidosis. They die. So when they're doing a ketogenic diet, they're not doing that. They're going back and forth between glucose and burning fat and, and ketones. So anybody that knows, understands organic chemistry shouldn't be telling people that. But J Jason Fong is a brilliant guy. He knows people are not going to stay with it. They're going in and out of it. You know what I mean? And if you ate a good plant-based diet, you don't have to burn body fat unless you're not getting enough calories. Unless you're going on a fast, you're going to burn body fat. And then when you go on a fast, you're able, your body's able to adjust to burning the transition from body fat, from sugar to body fat. It happens in a matter of a half hour. When you're on a ketogenic diet, you know, you got the keto flu. You know, it takes two, hour, two weeks or something like that. That's because they're inefficient. So that's why a lot of studies, you know, by uh, um, people that understand fasting and what, what it means to be living off, you know, your, your body fat into a long fast. Why, for instance, in Stockholm, in, back in the 1950s, uh, Otto Buchinger and uh, Dr. Carl Otto Ali supervised the... Uh, um, they had experienced fasted. They took 11 men, they put them on a 10-day water fast, and they walked 330 miles. They slept at night and walked 330 miles. Dick Gregory, who was a political activist, fasted 57 days, and he walked and ran 100 miles. You're, you're burning body fat. You do not need a lot of fat. A very small amount of fat can carry you at least five miles. I, I did similar. I did the same thing. I don't know if you remember, I fasted... Ten days, and I ran ten miles. They I took, do, yeah. Yeah, I look like a skeleton. Rory had them take the picture off the internet. I said, leave it on there. I don't that, care. <laughs> that, you, I couldn't care less. So, yeah, that picture is a little bit intense. But, yeah, look, yeah. I mean, I look, look like I broke out of a concentration camp. But I, I, you know, I ran ten miles. I felt good. I could have run further. Do you have the photo, Rory? Do you have it somewhere? No, it doesn't. No? No. So, we got to see people... Uh, are not really getting the truth based on, you know, the human body that is a very sophisticated biological organism. It knows what to do. We have this scientific, scientific intuitive, intuitiveness that is designed into the body. The body can adjust through homeostasis to the worst situations. Fasting, starvation, you know, recovery from, look what happened to me. How I recovered from what happened to me. I had a hole in my head. They were gonna, they would have chopped my head off if I let them. They almost killed me. That's the last podcast. We won't recount yeah, it now. But so if you want to know what happened, we did. That I got on up the and walked podcast. out. I didn't walk out. They took me out of there in a the wheelchair. <clears throat> took me. Oh, you're not gonna be on your feet. Oh, really? I was on my feet. I had a guy, somebody come and help me. Walk down the street, hold me by the arm. I looked like a pipe cleaner. I looked like a. Like, forget about it. I don't think I weighed 100 pounds. And I said to myself, the human body, if anything's going to make me recover, I'm going to focus on my, what was designed into my body, you know. I certainly believe in God, the case of intelligent design. I like to write a book about the case of intelligent design scientifically because people resent it when you bring God into the equation. So I'll write about case of intelligent design. So what happened? I did that. I uh, had somebody help me. He said, my wife said, don't, let him, don't take him outside. He thinks he can go out and walk. I said to the guy, please, take me outside. Hold me by the arm. I went out. I, I was able to walk. 
Within by the third day, I was able to walk unassisted. Within a couple of weeks, I was walking through the hills. I mean, I looked terrible, but I was alive. Plus, I had a hole in my head the size of a quarter. You could put your pinky in there. I know. You tried to get me to touch it several times. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, and then I said, well, what's the answer to this? Oxygen. So I went in. I got into a hyperbaric chamber. I did some fasting on and off. And they were going <laughs> to... You know, I, this surgeon, right, was going to say, listen, you got to get that. You need surgery, right? So... <clears throat> He said, we're going to put a plate in your head. We're going to take out your forehead. We're going to put a plate in your head. Jeez. Everybody was pressuring me. I got so disgusted. I said, you know what? I'll go ahead and do it, and everybody will shut up. So I made a schedule, got scheduled for surgery, and I went to the hospital, and Rory and my wife came with me. They were going to walk me into surgery. And then I still hadn't recovered from the mold spores that were in my atrium and in my lungs. So, and I told my daughter, I said, don't tell, don't tell the doctor about what I was like a couple months ago. Of course, my daughter ratted me out. She told him. So when they was wheeling me into, taking me into surgery, the anesthesiologist comes out and she looked at me. She says, Mr. Bishop, we can't put you in surgery. I said, why not? She says, because, and I hate general anesthesia. I never had it my whole life. I just, that's very dangerous. People don't realize. So what happened? She says, because of your age, you know, okay, I'm a, so I'm a Tussler, so what? I you know, let's get this over with. So she said, no, we can't do it. She said, you probably won't wake up. So I got up and walked out. I walked outside, and Rory and, and my wife said, oh, you have done already? <laughs> so I walked out. I said, I'm going to do this on my own. So I get in. I fasted. I did what, you know, you know, let, you know, let this. Uh, got into a hyperbaric chamber, probably been in a hyperbaric chamber, uh, I don't know, someplace between 80 and 100 times. And when I first got in there, the poor girl that was operating the chamber it was a high-pressure chamber. Eventually, took them about three or four weeks before they took me up to 25 psi because they were scared of my with my age. So they took me up, and I used to come out, and the pressure was actually squeezing all this morbid-looking matter out of the hole in my head, and was like I felt bad for the girl that she had to look at it. And so I, I used to put a towel over my head, you know, wipe it off with that towel. And same thing with my wife. She said, "You wake up in the morning, I'd have blood and." Pus all over my face, so I slept with a towel over my face. But little by little, it got better, got better, got better, got better. And then you could, I could still push my finger in there, but it doesn't go in. <laughs> it doesn't go through. So real quick, for anyone wondering, so, and it, it, we did this on podcast number 27, but Dr. Bushy had a mold situation in his house, and it created all sorts of problems. And one of the things it did is it got into his sinuses and dissolved, the fungus dissolved the hole through the front of his sinus cavity. Of course, an infection. But it yeah. was in my heart and everything. I had atrial fibrillation. Of course, they were going to want to put me on blood thinners. I said, oh, I'm, not, I'm not doing that. And I stayed away from the doctor. I said, oh, you're going to have a stroke. Oh, okay, I have a stroke. That's all. What am I going to do? And uh, that was, you know, that you went really went through it with that. We spent some nights in the hospital, and um, uh, you were really weak when you were recovering. But when you recovered, you looked better than you did before all of this happened. It was amazing. I know a lot of people were curious, and they used to come to see me because, I mean, I, and I was staggering around there for about a month. And I, one time I was going down to the health food store in Staten Island, this guy running up and Friday, Friday, he wanted to talk to me, and somebody had started a rumor that I died. And this guy, what happened to you? I mean, he was worried that he was going to die from something. You know, he said, it had nothing to do with 
my diet. Don't worry. Oh, because he was on like a raw food diet or a well, vegan diet. Well, he was on a vegan diet. He thought he was going to die. Somebody said, oh, you see that? That guy, he was, you know, he died. For, you didn't get enough animal protein and stuff. Nonsense, you know what I mean? No. Well, uh, let's open it up for questions. So what I'm going to do is uh, I'm going to turn this mic on, which I should have done earlier, but uh, it's fine. Let's see. There we go. I'm just going to set this right here like that. Uh, and if anybody has any questions for Dr. Bishy, just uh, say it loud so that uh, the mic can pick it up. And then we'll, we'll go from here. Bobby. Yes, sir. High raw diet for three years now. Okay. Multiple juice fasts. We say high raw. It's not 100%. Not 100. How much? What percentage? Uh, 90, 80, like 80, 10, 10, almost like a, Okay, all right, so. So, um, multiple juice fasts, over 200 days. Right. Um, still have that raw food, I still have that cooked food craving. Right. Lost 150 pounds, and uh, I'm nowhere near the results I want, and I want. You lost, a hun you lost 150 pounds? Fred, I'm gonna show you some before and after pictures of Bobby okay. that are astounding. Right. And just make sure you stay close to the mic when you answer okay. Bobby. Well, the crazy, don't forget the emotional, psychological component to hunger. Okay, it works through your five senses. And the only way you can overcome that is, uh, it's where you remember the thoughts you entertain become a reality. The more you think about food, the more craving you can have. But the best way to overcome that is to do a water fast. Well, that was the question. Like, should I do a water yeah, fast? Yeah, you should do a water fast. Because I did 100 days on juice. Yeah, I know, but you, you're never getting beyond. You, it's all based on what you're leaving out. Now you're, but what you do, you gotta make sure that you want to do it. I don't want to ask you any personal questions, huh? I do want to do it, yeah. I know, but Bobby's been extremely consistent, like the most impressively yeah, but consistent what, what person. What chemicals have you been exposed? to? You've been exposed to drugs. Oh, uh, you know, just beer and marijuana back in the day. You know, no, no, no hardcore drugs. No, no. No, okay. If it were, if if there was drugs, then it's it's different. You could still do it. You could do it. You got to go on. You're probably. You might be able to eliminate it with one water fast. You're not going to have to go much beyond five days, but you've got to rest. You've got to lay down, rest, and if you believe in prayer, prayer empowers fasting dynamically. And a good five days will bring me to the next level. Yeah, but the best thing to do is remember when, the best thing to do, if you get up, if you run around and, you know, watch television and read a book, what happens is that when your eyes are open and you're using an extra 40% of your energy for your brain to evaluate what the eyes are seeing. So the best way to do it is to keep your eyes closed as much as you can. I mean, you're not gonna lay down as if you're a coma all the time, but keep your eyes closed because you're releasing a lot more of that vital force. That energy is vital force. The, remember, the, the problem is the hypothalamus gland in the floor of your brain, which controls your, your sex drive, your hunger drive, and addictions. The whole problem with addictions and food addiction Obviously, you probably had a love affair going with food. Love affair. So, okay, so. Even with raw, that's why I went raw, because I can eat as much as I want. Well, raw, if you could, yeah, raw is, it's, it's not for everybody, I gotta be honest with you. I mean, I've seen people get in trouble, but it's, to me, it's, it's the key to longevity, you know, especially if you're fasting. And see, caloric restriction, the great thing about eating a raw diet, it's a calorically restricted diet. Stanley Robbins, from Harvard Medical School, who's uh, head of the uh, pathology department, 
told me that I would never live long on a raw food diet because you're only absorbing 40% of what's in the food. That's the key. That's why you do live a long time. And once you overcome that food addiction, once you, you know, the oral gratification through the five senses, what you look at, oh boy, look at that. What is that? Oh, that's a durian, or that's a mango, or that's a piece of steak. Right away, you're exciting the hypothalamus gland through your senses, through visual, hearing, touch. The senses that are really our downfall, people don't realize that. But when you're in a fast, what you're doing is you're changing the effect of your senses has on, on the, the hypothalamus gland. So then what happens when you, the, uh, the, uh, the hunger drive, right? Sex drive, the hunger drive, very, very, very powerful. But what happens, once you fall into this category, the addiction, the drive, whatever the addiction is, could be long distance running, could be anything. What happens, it's substituted for the hunger drive. That's the trap. You've got to eat. And, then, and if you pick the wrong foods, you know, it's, uh, and so whatever it is that you're eating, just to break that cycle, to break the rhythm, if you could uh, do like a five-day water fast, but make sure you shut down, rest, and everything. So before we move on to another question, can you explain then uh, what the inherent dangers are for someone that has a history of drugs, whether recreational or pharmaceutical drugs, if they're going to start water fasting? Yeah, well, it's, it's going to come out of your system. So it's going to retrace out of your system oh, and yeah, you'll experience it back in circulation. Oh, you'll taste, the, you'll taste the drugs coming out of your system. You've you got to be careful, though, that you don't, say if you're doing hallucinogenics or something like that, you could do some tripping and everything. As long as you're being guided, it, they'll come out quickly, though. See, the good thing about it, it's not going to last a matter of weeks. It'll come out very, very quickly on a water fast. On a juice fast, a juice cleanse, it might not even come out, you know, because you're not going to get at the concentrated chemicals. Of mm. course, juice, um, uh, juice cleansing or juice, it's not really a fast, but it's very dynamic, too. A lot of people would be probably be better off if they did that because it takes you to... There's, what, what I'm trying to say is there's a reciprocal amount of improvement based on what you leave out and what you're eating. So if you're just drinking clean, organic juices, you're leaving out everything. You're leaving out, you know, cigars, cake, candy, soda, all these other crazy things. So your body chemistry and its infinite wisdom, everything's chemical, everything's actual reaction, will bring you to that point. But with water fasting, it's, it's really, it's very deep. I had a friend from a meditation group that used to, um, she came to a party that I held, which, you know, was just us having dinner one night. And uh, she used to finish eating. She was an older woman, and she used to finish eating at noon every day. And right. she wouldn't eat past that. And she ate at like 6 o'clock. And she was like, I was so sick the next day. Yeah, just from eating at 6 p.m., which she used to eat. And I mean, yeah. she did it for like 30, 40 years. Well, That's why. Well, your body contracts on a cellular level. Yeah. So that when, if your body changes like that, and because of the less intercellular pressure, your body, everything is chemical, everything is actually, your body responds to what you do. Your body will contract, right? So then all of a sudden you do something foolish. You go to the Nathan's in Coney Island, decide to eat 10 hot dogs, you're going to end up in the emergency room because your body can then accommodate the increase of the intercellular gas. Mm -hmm. it, no, it's a serious... That's why I get very nervous when I hear people, see people giving people advice that's radical and people don't realize that, does it work? Yeah, it's going to work. But a lot of people are fickle. They have a change of heart. They decide to, oh, gee, I'm tired of doing this. I think I'll go back to, you know, whatever they were doing. You might not know, you can't really go back that easy in some cases. I personally know people that 
got uh, that were uh, raw fooders went back to eating animal protein, and you know who I'm talking. One person I'm talking about got cancer because some screwball in Florida convinced him he could go back to eating animal protein. I warned them, don't do it. Okay, another question, Casey. Um, uh, I have a question regarding enemas, colonics, and uh, coffee, <coughs> coffee enemas. Right. Um, I started getting into this lifestyle maybe uh, 15 years ago. I'm 42 now. Uh, right. Pretty much, look I've been like a young vegetarian my whole life. I've never eaten meat. You've been a vegetarian your whole life? Yeah. <clears throat> never uh, eaten meat? No. Wow. And so you. In my own practice, I, I, I believe the, from, you know, just my longevity and youthfulness, it's because of that, my spiritual practice, growing up in a yoga community. And then I started getting into the colonics with guilt, and that sort of like changed my whole life. And so, so I was doing some uh, fasting, and I wanted to know um, when you're fasting, can you do? Well, you're talking about water or juice, which is dramatic. Or or water fasting, or you, even juice fasting. I, 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 well, there's a big difference. Water, yeah, water if you're doing a water fast, you can't do a lot of enemas because you, you're going to be expending your nerve energy. It's not a good idea. Only in only in a crisis situation. But juice fasting, you can do enemas every day. Water fasting, you wouldn't recommend doing a colonic or... In an emergency, yeah, you could do a colonic. But I wouldn't go do a colonic every day. It's totally unnecessary when you're on a water fast. And, and, and then if you can tell me your thoughts about coffee enemas. You know, when, you, when you're doing a coffee enema, you're, you're dilating the portal vein. You're expediting the, the, uh, the liver's going to dump bile and whatever toxins, other toxins are in there. So... Um, and if you're in a crisis, a coffee like they do out at the Gerson Center, you do multiple. You do I don't remember it's three or four coffee enemas a day, and uh, I think that's too many to be perfectly honest with you, because you get it. You can get addicted to that well-being that the, the coffee, that the caffeine gives you. You know, you have a sense of well-being from doing that. So uh, if you're eating, if you're eating a, a vegan diet, you're eating mostly raw. Um, and you're not in any kind of a crisis, and your liver enzymes are in the lower normal range, I don't see a need for a coffee enema. I certainly wouldn't do a lot of them because that's what happens. People fall into a trap with the rhetoric, and, you know, it's totally unnecessary. But if you're in a crisis, you know, your liver performance is responsible for over 500 different functions, very, very important. A lot of people today, 70% of our population walk around with a fatty liver, don't even know it. And then is, is, is disease in the body, is it just a, a buildup of mucus from the, from the foods that we're eating? Because, you know, all foods have a certain amount of mucus. No, no, the, 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 primary, the primary cause of all disease is inflammation. When you have inflammation, if the inflama there's two types of inflammation. If you cut yourself, you have some inflammation that's very important for how you heal, cut. But if you have chronic inflammation, what happens, your body will secrete mucus. If you have inf inflammation in your sinus cavity, your body's going to secrete mucus because the inflammation, it can cause a lot of problems wherever, whatever place is in your body. So if you have, when you secrete the mucus, the mucus is a perfect nesting place for bacteria to proliferate. So this is not, a, these things are not simple. There's so many variables in the human body. But rather than uh, 
I mean, if you have a little cold, a little sniffle or something like that, rather than jump right into a coffee enema, I mean, a co- couple coffee enemas are certainly not going to uh, kill you, but there's more to coffee enemas therapeutically. Part of the problem out at the Gershon Clinic, they, get, they were detoxifying and intoxicating people in the same day. They were detoxifying them, and they were poisoning them. They were doing that. They were able to eat whatever they wanted. They could eat in the middle of the night. I've seen people do, have a disaster on that type of a program. So it was good. Max Gershon was a genius to a degree, but you certainly don't need 13 glasses of juice in a day. That's overdone. If you need 13 glasses of juice in a day and you're eating indiscriminately, you can get up in the middle of the night and eat a bowl of oatmeal. That's counterproductive. When you're sleeping at night, you're actually on dialysis. When you go to bed at night, if you go to bed without food in your stomach, <clears throat> very rarely you're going to run into trouble. If you go to bed with food in your stomach, through the optic nerve in your eyes, because it's exposed to daylight and darkness, will send a message to the hypothalamus gland to slow down your metabolism so you could go, you could sleep. Once you've been eating, a t- if you, anybody eats a raw diet and consistently does it, they go to bed, if you go to bed at 11, you're going to wake up at 3, 30, 4 o'clock in the morning because that process has taken place. If you're waking up in the middle of the night, if you're waking up at 4 o'clock in the morning, 4.30 in the morning on a regular basis, you don't, you don't need a coughing enema. I'll save you a lot of trouble here. Now, there are people that would disagree with me. That's perfectly fine, too. But, you know, they might not have the experience the way I look at them. Susan. Huh. So, I'm going to be 58, and my problem is I wake up 2.30 every morning because I'm hot. I'm boiling. So, what's going on? Yes, I'm menopausal and not happy about it, but that's the way it is. Well, menopause can do that to you. You can wake up a little night sweating. Let's put it this way. Menopause is really could be one of the most beautiful times in a female's life. If somebody's consistently eating a clean diet, I've never seen a, a person that was on a clean vegan or raw food diet that went into menopause that had any symptoms. They have none. They just become, they're not reproductive. They stop ovulating. I mean, they stop ovulating and they stop having their period, but they don't have it. They don't have problems. Uh, do you have it? Do you drink any alcohol at all? Yes. You do? Yes. Okay. I well, there's, that could be a problem right there. <laughs> I actually find that, what was I going to say? Oh, Susan, you know, the, uh, one of the, bit more, for everybody, one of the biggest sabotages I see with a lot of people that are trying to troubleshoot through problems is the wine consumption or any of the alcohol consumption. Yeah, it sabotages weight loss. It sabotages sleep stuff. It, it's... You know, I mean, of course, when they dissect it, they find all these cool little things in it, like, you know, antioxidants or something. And everybody will make a case as to why yeah, wine is good or the Europeans do this or that. But when it comes down to it, it's it's a burden on the body. And it really uh, and if you're trying to accomplish something, it gets in the way. Now, obviously, if you, you know, used to drinking at dive bars in college and now you're an adult and you have some wine, it's a better choice. But it gets in the way, maybe, of what you you're know, but everything else is OK. You look like a healthy person. You don't have any other problems. So you wake up in the night and you throw the, the blanket off you. So you live with what you got. <laughs> I mean, uh, if everything else is okay, you want to, you want to, you know, have a glass of wine, and, you know, you know, everything's a trade. Everything in life's a trade-off. Everything's a trade-off. Coffee too. I'm trying to. I'm on and off. You're fighting coffee now on the, on raw food. 
Oh, we got to get that done. We got to get that. That's another big sabotage for people. Let me tell you what, what the big problem with coffee is, not just chemically. The thing that I don't like about it is that, that it, um, it masks the truth of what's going on with your body. So that's what coffee culture is. It's everybody not eating a diet that supports them and makes them full of energy and vital. And then they have a coffee to erase all of that and trick their, their whole day into feeling good. And that becomes a lifetime cycle and it becomes a real problem. And I see client after client doing the coffee culture thing and they're eating too late at night and they're eating food that doesn't serve them, but they can't get their life together until they have coffee. Yeah. So it's not even as much the coffee. I mean, you could do like a, what is it? It's cold. Uh, hot. My wife always gets mad when I mess this up. Is it cold, oh, cold brewed organic coffee? And it might be better. It might have some antioxidants. It might be okay. But, um, but what's its purpose? Because even though coffee tastes good, most people aren't drinking it just because of the taste, you know, the drinking yeah, it because they need it. I like the smell, I like the taste. Yeah. But a cold brew coffee, that's, you know. It's better. That's another joke. You know? I mean, that's yeah. another mask. That's all they put women in. Yeah. It's organic. You know, a lot of things are organic, you know. A snake bite is organic too, but I wouldn't want to get bit by a snake. <laughs> okay, we have another question. Yes, ma'am. Um, what is something that you've changed your mind, mind about over the years, like from your experience? Wow, that, that's one of the greatest questions ever asked at one of the Q&As. What, uh, what is something you've changed your mind about over the years? There's a lot, to be honest with you, there's a lot. There's a lot that I changed my mind about. I learned not to be dogmatic, not to be, try not to be opinionated, try not to be judgmental. Even if I'm giving and counseling somebody, I have to try to meet that person where they're at. What I'm thinking is the best thing for them is might not be what they what they can accomplish. So um, I changed my mind about, uh, um, about some of the sports I was involved in, weightlifting. I look back, I said, well, I spent hours in that gym throwing all kinds of weight around. For what? What was that accomplishing? Maybe a moment, you know, and I wasn't into bodybuilding. I was an Olympic lifter, so I wasn't, didn't spend a lot of time looking in the mirror. But to me, a lot of that was a waste of time to me. I, I still love exercise. Same thing with long distance running. I used to train hours, hours. I wasted a lot of time. I was thinking, the other night I was laying in bed, I how many hours did I waste out of my life spending now doing 20 mile runs and you know running eight miles and all this type of stuff. Um, I, another thing I changed my mind about is that I realized that there's a variety of different lifestyles a person could uh, approach to their lifestyle that could keep them healthy. That's why when people ask me about a ketogenic diet, I, they say, Freddie, you must hate it. No, no, these people are doing okay, aren't they? Don't, they're not going to stick to it, though. What about a macrobiotic diet? These people are doing okay on a macrobiotic diet. But the ultimate diet is based on the anatomical design of the human body, and there are some, you can have some variations. As long as you know what to leave out, right? What you leave out is going to free your body up to keep you healthy, like the blood type diet, all these type of different types of diets. So, um, I've changed my mind about a lot. I just can't remember everything. Don't forget, no matter how old you are, life is an ongoing process. Life is a learning process. I learned a lot. I'm an, I'm, I'm an animal lover. I had a dog for almost 80 years. I learned a lot by watching my dogs. I really learned a lot. And how I learned a lot too is you have to you have to have some humility and be open to somebody 
that you might think doesn't have a lot of knowledge in general, they might be able to enlighten you in specific areas. I've had that happen a lot to me. I remember once when I was, I got very interested in, in uh, looking at animals and comparing certain animals to the human physiology. I spoke to somebody at the uh, Bronx Zoo. The guy thought I was, you know, he, he didn't know what I was searching for. Then I spoke to a woman at the Barrack Park Zoo in Staten Island, and she spent a bunch of hours with me. We were talking about feeding each animal their species-specific diet, otherwise they would get sick. They had to eat their species-specific diet. So then I, re I came to the conclusion that we had a species-specific diet. What was it? And I, I have no, absolutely no doubt about that. Then I studied a lot of ancient, ancient scriptures. I've studied the, the, the Bible is loaded with the truth about diet, 6,000 years old. People don't even realize it's in there. The Bible will tell you, if anybody's ever read the Bible, in Genesis 129, it tells you what the perfect diet is for man. So from... From gen and everybody ignores that. They say, oh, that's in the old, don't mean anything. No, the design of the human body has not changed. So if you look at Genesis 129 to Genesis 9.3, it's 1,600 years. According to the Bible, for 1,600 years, whoever was living then was a vegan. From Genesis 9.3 to the time of Ruth, 2,500 years, lifespan, according to the Bible, the people don't believe the Bible, they think it's a joke book, lifespan went down from hundreds of years down to an average lifespan between 30 and 40 years. The certain thing, if you read the Quran, the certain books that you read, you know, that studied history, if you look at, um, if you look at certain aspects of uh, paganism, you know, the Aztecs, the Incas, there was a lot of wisdom there. They had mathematicians, but they, there was a lot of evidence that they had, that they lived, that in some respects, might be better than some of the average people living today and what they're doing. So we can't look back um, years ago, look at different cultures in the world and think because they might be from a third world country, they don't have something to offer. Everybody has something to offer. A lot of herbal medicine that comes from third world countries, it comes from the Caribbean or Africa, very, very effective. But, so, I'm learning every day from my experiences. I have an open mind. And you learn a lot by speaking to the people that are going through. I have a lot of people who are going through some serious, serious uh, issues, you know what I mean? And I learn I, by listening to them. And the emotional, the emotional psychological factors in our society today are probably the most difficult things to deal with rather than the physical ailment. They're making a lot of people sick. A lot of people are making themselves sick because of the stress they're under, the thoughts they're entertaining, the lack of spiritual beliefs, you know. You know especially when you get older. When you get, I, a lot of people I grew up with, I mean, I was with them as they were getting ready to meet their maker. I mean, there was a lot of fear, a lot of fear, you know, about, you know, when you're in the twilight of your life and you don't have a, long, a big future, you better... You better have something to, to help you. You know, just like that guy Bobby Utterback said, you know, when they told me he was going to die, he said the first thing he did was get right with God and it really helped him. By the way, people should look into the last that they should find out what that really is. What is that? What? It's actually curing, getting people getting rid of cancer. I heard about it from a couple of different people that these people were taking this Velasta, which was a form of astaxanthin, about 20,000 strains of astaxanthin, but they're all not the same. And that's from algae. 
It's an analogy, right? Okay. But but it's good. The astaxanthin he has is a special strain that he developed. It's very very powerful, and then he tagged it with a sugar molecule, so it goes right to the can cell. Rory told me about this. Right. Yeah. So what happened? I heard about it. When we went into remission, I ignored it because it sounded like a joke. Then I heard about it from another woman in Brooklyn that uh, she went into remission. I ignored it, which was very stupid on my part. Then I started hearing from about from other people that it was helping people with uh, macular degeneration, um, different types of ailments. So finally, I said, I got to call this guy up. So I call him up. I get on the phone with him. His name is Sam Shepard. He was one of the foremost scientists with NASA. He's got a Ph.D. in physics, a master's degree in chemical engineering. He's a forensic scientist, and he's a brilliant guy. He's a research scientist. So he invited me and Rory to go down in Washington, and we went down, and we spent a weekend with him, and we spent the whole night, the first night. I was very, very impressed. So then I decided to call up the, the uh, girl from Brooklyn that went into remission, had stage 4 cancer. I spoke to her, and what happened is that uh, she went into remission in 17 days. That they know about it up at Sloan Kettering. They know about it at MD Anderson. When we were down in Washington, there were two doctors there from John Hopkins Hospital. They said, what is this guy, a snake girl salesman? After he spoke for about 15, 20 minutes, they ripped out a pad. They started taking notes. And, you know, and they got serious about it. Now, Rory could give you the numbers better than me. We probably have probably a, a thousand people, Rory, that have gone into, gone into remission. Plus... My wife has a girlfriend had spinal arthritis. She couldn't turn her head. She took it. She had a lot of pain. Her pain went away. But the girl eats the worst diet I ever saw. She had gastric bypass surgery. And when her pain went away, now her pain is starting to come back. I mean, you know, you got to be realistic. Bobby Utterback, the guy that had stage 4 cancer, had seven tumors, one the size of a golf ball. The other six tumors, they went, they're gone. The other one shrink by... 50% in, in, in three weeks. He, he, he don't eat a good diet at all. I said, Bobby, come on, don't spit into the wind. Change your diet here. A little bit anyway. So, yeah, I'm thinking about doing it. So I'm hearing about more cases personally. I don't sell a product. I don't want to be involved in the money part of it because when you recommend something like this, it sounds like a joke. You know, you sound like a snake oil salesman. So I tell people about it. And um, a, a guy I know that has uh, his in-law's family lives down in Ecuador. I told him about it. There's a lot of cases like this. And what happened, uh, his father-in-law had stage 4 prostate cancer. He sent it to him. The guy's in remission. Hey, I did that thing that people do these days, and I inserted an ad in the middle of this episode. This was actually the first time that Dr. Bishy uh, really talked about Velasta astaxanthin publicly. He talked to some clients about it. He talked to me about it. You can see from the episode, I had a little bit of an understanding of what it was, uh, but that was where I really first started to understand uh, the power it was having in putting people into remission. Uh, so if you haven't checked out the episode with Sam Shepard, check out that previous podcast episode. And if you would like to support this podcast, please drop down into the show notes or the description, click through the link and use the code PURE to purchase some Velasta astaxanthin. Okay. Now let's get back to it. They make it in two ways. They make like a pump spray, right? But they also make a chocolate. Is That's the joke. They put it in chocolate. That's the joke. You're told, what do you have to do? You eat three pieces of chocolate a day. What? Then they just slough you up like you're a maniac. But it works 
you start to feel it right away. What I've seen, I couldn't get my wife to take. I tell my wife, why don't you take it, you know? So the great thing about it, it's very good for your skin. And I saw the transformation in my wife's skin. My wife's a lot younger than I am. She's got good skin. She looks good, but I saw the transformation. You've got to see her skin. You wouldn't believe it. And that's just from taking it orally. She wasn't topically using it, was nah. she? Yeah. No. Yeah. Well, now, I used to follow around the house. Alma, Alma, you want your chocolate? Oh, no, no. I don't want it right now. So now, she gets out of bed. She says, where's the chocolate? Where's my chocolate? Okay. <laughs> All right, take your chocolate. Amazing. Yes. Yes, sir. I just want, I don't have a question, I just wanted to say something. I'm John Sands, I've known uh, Dr. Bishi for years, and, and Mike and Roy. I haven't seen you in 10 years. I was saying to Susan, the last lecture we were at 10 years ago, you look and you sound exactly the same. <laughs> I've seen no aging. I mean, it's remarkable. I can't say that about anyone else. I mean, it's, it's not, listen, I'm not, I'm not special. I look like my dad. My dad died at, uh, in his late 70s. It's the lifestyle. If you leave, if you do this right, you are slowing down the aging clock dramatically. And considering the fact I've had some bad experience I had no control over. You know, that mole experiences, I, I, I thought they had me, I really did. So, and I honestly believe the mole spores, some of the mole spores are still in, in, inside of me. But, John, anybody, <clears throat> anybody that does what I do, the way I do it, and the way Rory does it, it's a game changer. Now, is it, are you, you know, is it for everybody? I don't think so. Are you socially, people don't understand what you're doing socially? Can you do it? If you do it, you're going to get those, you're going to get the same type of results. It's amazing. It really is what it can do. It's your body, it's your body that does it. Your body is the healer. Your body was lived. If you look at the body, you take the body, you put it in the perfect environment. Everything's perfect. Clean air, no stress, which don't exist no more. The body will just keep healing and regenerating itself. We are, the human body is designed. What stops it? What's the real, why is there a difference between biological and chronological age? There's a big difference. We don't age at the same rate under the same circumstances. And mo remember the, remember the, the psychological component of hunger. People cannot lock in, create parameters and lock into those parameters and stay there. That's the problem. You're in and out of the parameters, you age. That's what happens to you. Debbie, I know you had a question. Yeah, I have two questions. Um, so my daughter was diagnosed with female pattern baldness. So she's 35 years old and she's starting to lose her hair. Um, if she went on the raw food diet or she, you know, would, would that Possibly, that might have something to do with, it's probably hormonal to a degree or stress-related. has something to do with her chemistry one way or the other. Remember, when you go into a clean diet and stay there on a raw food diet, you stabilize your hormones. That's why when a person goes on a raw food diet, you, what happens to your body biologically, we'll use a man as an example. If a guy's eating a standard American diet, he's eating a lot of animal protein, and he's 28 years old, I mean... He's going to be like a praying lion. He's going to have the libido of a Mongolian warrior. But if he's eating a raw food diet, <laughs> it's not going to be the same. His libido is going to come down. Why? Because he's not going to be that stimulated. But he'll be, he could be sexually active till he's 90 years old. The other way, who, what do you think they're taking all those blue pills, whatever they are, Viagra, all those type of things? So 
when you, when, based on what you leave out, or if you fast, whatever you do, it frees your body to operate at peak efficiency. Whatever reason she's losing her hair, there's a very good chance that that'll stop. I recently had a guy, I didn't even, the guy didn't come to see me. A guy told me I have all kinds of problems. Nobody's been able to help me. What's the matter? He went like this. He was shaking. He said, do you think that could be helped? I said, you know, your body has the ability to do things. I only used to see the guy occasionally in the health food store. So I said, what should I do? I said, go to a clean vegan diet. I said, I'm already on a vegan diet. Well, tell me what you ate. He was eating all kinds of junk. So he went to a clean vegan diet. I didn't see the guy for about four months. And he come running into the helpful says, Freddy, say, how you doing? How are you? Remember me? I didn't remember him, to be honest with you. <laughs> so he went, he says, look at this. And his hands were steady as a rock. How did that happen? I didn't have the slightest idea, but his body knew what to do. Your body has that infinite wisdom and knows what to do. Your body is designed through homeostasis, in your chemistry, that if you get enough stress, drink clear water, eat clean food, Try to eat as much raw food as you possibly can, you know. Try not to be obnoxious, develop a decent personality, and try to treat people with respect and unconditional love. You've got a good chance to heal. All chronic disease is remedial. Every chron I've seen it happen. Every single chronic disease is remedial. Yeah, you know, I just did a talk with Gil down at Bonbury uh, a couple of nights ago, and I, everybody likes to get into all these detailed questions, especially with Gil. Uh, so I, I wanted to set the stage for what we were doing and I was explaining to everyone that the way all of this works before we get into like which juicer is better and all that kind of stuff. It's just that we're getting out of the way of our body in order to allow it to self-correct, which it will automatically do if we just get out of the way. Does anybody have a question that they like came here to ask before we end? Debbie, you have another one? So if somebody's on a raw food diet. Right. Is there an optimal level, you know, amount of fat that you're supposed to have? Like, because, like, I feel like I need more fat than the normal person. Well, as long as you're eating the right type of fat, you're eating, and you're not cooking any of them, the amount of saturated fat. Can I eat 35 grams of fat in a day? <laughs> 35 <laughs> grams of fat? Yeah. Well, it's not, if it, it's raw, yeah. it's not going to kill you, but it's too much. It's too much. Right? Maybe in a, an extreme cold temperature, you need more fat. If you, <laughs> so, if you live, well, in real cold weather, if you, you know, if you're just living on fruits and vegetables that are raw, you're going to be cold and you're drinking cold juices out of the refrigerator. But if you're eating some dry fruit, you know, people say, what about the sugar? No, no. People don't realize that, some people don't realize, and I hate to say it that way, but the real problem is there's a lot of people eating raw, they're not getting enough, eat, not eating enough fruit. They're not getting enough calories. That's why they're cold all the time. You need... When I started training for long distances, my real problem was I wasn't eating enough fruit because a lot of people say, oh, you can't eat too much fruit. But if you're training 50 to 70 miles a week and you're getting ready to run a long distance, so I said, wait a minute, I'm not getting enough to eat. And I was getting thinner and thinner and thinner. But because mentally I, would, I could drive myself, I said, wait a minute, I got to eat more fruit. So I started eating a lot of fruit. So I would go out and train hard, come back, eat quite a bit of fruit. I'm not talking about 30, 40 bananas a day. I'm not talking about that insanity either. So I would eat a lot of fruit, and then, because you don't, your body don't secrete insulin for about 40, half hour to 45 minutes after you exercise, and then I would feel enormous. I'd feel fabulous. So if I trained twice a day, I would eat the fruit twice a day. And I reduced the amount of, of uh, salads I was eating and ate more green juices because the salads, if you're having a problem, you're getting too thin, 
The salads are negative calories, but they don't really provide, give you that much energy unless you're putting carrots in there and beets and things like that. So I did that. I knew instantly that was the answer because it only took about a month and I broke three hours in the marathon. And I was not a kid either. So, yeah, you can eat more fat, you know, as long as, you know, you just, uh, you know, you don't go crazy with it and live on a, a high-fat diet, you know. Yeah, that's what they're doing ketogenically. I, I know some couple people try to eat a raw diet ketogenically. I don't know why anybody would want to do that. Usually on a raw food diet, you, you know, the whole problem is you're, you're very thin, you know. What do you eat? I, I, eat, I eat fruits, vegetables, nuts, seeds. I drink some juice. I've probably eaten a, a million salads in my life. I love salads. I make myself a nice big salad. I put some sprouted beans in it. I get some mung beans in there. I put some dulse on it. I use a little bit of extra virgin olive oil. In spite of what some of these uh, Dr. Edelstein says and all these other people say, you don't want to cook the oil, though. And then uh, I eat avocados. I eat a whole big avocado sometimes. I eat one concentrated food. A meal, I have some nuts. I make smoothies. I like fruit. I eat a lot. If I'm training, I, I eat plenty of fruit. I might eat two fruit meals a day. If I'm not, I only, most of the times, I've been intermittent fasting for, I don't know, 35 years. Very rarely do I eat before 12 o'clock. Like yeah. a four-hour fast? Huh? I mean, Four-hour eating window? No, I usually eat 12 o'clock, and then the last meal I eat, uh, it varies. It could be any place between 4.30 and 7 o'clock. I like to eat with my wife, you know, we like to eat together, so sometimes I'll go a little bit longer. But uh, I, there are days when I don't eat till late in the afternoon. I don't, I don't have to. Thank you so much, Fred, okay. for doing this with me. You know, I started watching you in 1995 on... Um, on Staten Island Cable, yeah. and my father was so confused. He was like, well, you got to wake up early to watch this nutrition show on Staten Island Cable, and I was like, yes. I was like, this guy's the best. Yeah. Uh, so it's a real privilege to, to have known you for so long and to be oh, doing this you. with you now. Yeah, yeah. You've been a blessing to me. You've been an inspiration to me, you know? You know, fun fact, you, I, approximately, you were my age now when I was born, and we have a 25-year friendship. Right. So... Oh, I remember the first time you came to my house. I still remember that. Yeah. I remember that. That was like a pilgrimage for me. You know, it was like a, it was, it was a big deal. And then I just kept continually going and going and going. And then... Uh, well, look what, you, look what you're accomplishing now. The people out at the church out in Washington, I mean, they love what you're, you know, you're helping them, right? Yeah. Yeah, we communicate. We're trying to get um, uh, a lot of your uh, recorded content out on social media so people could, uh, so you can influence people like you did me. So mm -hmm. I want to thank you so much for tonight and for everything. Well, listen, at this point in my life, uh, the, the, uh, you know, I realize I'm in the twilight of my life. I feel good. I mean, I could go on a lot longer. I could be gone tomorrow. But the, my, the point is that I, I, uh, I try to share my experience as much as I can with people, to mentor as many people as I possibly can. And, uh, you know, the, the best way to mentor people, though, they ha you have to get them to do it themselves. You just can't give them the head knowledge, you know. They got to have experience, you know. You can tell a person how to water fast, but they have to go on a couple of water fairs. Mm -hmm. And water fasting to me was the greatest, it's the greatest healing modality. That's why I did so much of it, because I never ceased to be, in fact, I'm gonna do another long water fast. I'm just waiting for the right time. Oh. Huh? Oh. I don't, you don't measure, you don't, you don't pick a date. You never pick a date, right? So, but, um, 
you know, of course my wife don't want me to do it. You know, she said, well, you got to do that for that. You know. I was forbidden to fast before my wedding. My wife said, she goes, you're not doing any type of fasting for the next week. She goes, you're not getting any skinnier because I, I work a lot and I get stressed. Every time I'd get back to Oregon, I'd just be like a little bit underweight and she'd just drive her nuts. So uh, I've, now, I'm, now I'm married, so now I can fast when I'm ready. <laughs> well, you know, you got to also, we just can't think about ourselves. If you're married or you're living with your parents, you know, you got to be respectful to the effect of what you're doing on other people. I remember my mother was uh, over 100 years old, and she didn't, you know, she didn't realize what I was doing, you know. So there were periods when I was going through some real, you know, doing a long fast. I remember once I was on a long water fast. I knew I didn't look good. And you would go down to 88 pounds, you told me, was your lowest weight, right? Yeah. Yeah. I was on a 44-day water fast. I want to go to zero and then rebuild. Well, you've got to be very, very careful. It's very dangerous. It gets to a dangerous certain point. See, I did certain things to push the human condition to see what the outer limits were. I didn't have to do it. I was never a sick guy. Never. And I was a big husky guy at one time. But I had a curiosity because I wanted to help myself. My, as I said before, I got kicked out of every school I went to. I was a dyslexic with a bad speech impediment. And I was looking for answers. I was very angry with people. I had very poor self-esteem. But that's why I say this was a game changer. It changed everything. And the more I got into it, the more I started to see what was happening. And being when you, when you, when you're a young fellow growing up after the depression, you have poor self-esteem and you're poor, you, you know, not only you have poor self-esteem, you have poor in monetary things too. And uh, with me, it became a draw, it drove me. No matter what I did, if I ran 25 miles, that wasn't good enough. I had to go further. If I fasted 30 days, I had to go further. So it's because, but that's probably sh still in me. It's in. Your, your unconscious mind is like the hard drive of a computer. You don't erase some of this stuff. The emotional, psychological fact that some of it just doesn't leave you. But you could grow beyond it, of course. And on that, we're going to end this. I think we did good. Thank you, Thank you Fred. Thank, Thank you so much. You.